That's not, that's not evil? Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil? One big gay disco. Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said, I can't do it? One big gay disco. Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. You're fighting for the gay disco. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't use those kinds of slurs on the fighting for the gay disco. What are there are no slurs here? Die for the gay disco. This is an uprising against smug elites. Smug elites. So they're the villains. And the opposite is Definitely. Our most requested guest, uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That's what they that's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. I mean, is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off to every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Fight the people who don't like disco. Maybe you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? One big gay disco. Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. Hello, and welcome once again to the podcast, the Friday afternoon Culture Wars podcast. We have a lot to talk about today, but first we'd like to begin by talking about Holocaust Remembrance Month. You probably heard about the Holocaust this month because it's impossible not to hear about the Holocaust this month. And so in keeping with uh, our tradition here, we're going to uh, talk about it uh, in our own particular way. So in order to talk about this effectively, I just got this, uh, got this tweet today. Someone, uh, teacher, teacher, uh, we have to feel sorry for the teachers because they have, they are, uh, it's mandatory for them to teach about the Holocaust, uh, whatever it is now, whatever version we have now. And uh, this lady, uh, I believe a teacher, uh, here, here's the, uh, just got this tweet. She said, uh, that title was, I can't handle the anti-Semitism this year. And then she goes on to say, teaching the Holocaust this year has been an absolute nightmare. I don't know what happened since COVID, but like half of my eighth grade boys think it's funny to say things I never would have expected to hear from someone their age. Why do they think it's okay? We were watching a scene from Schindler's List. 
when an African-American student loudly blurted out, bro, Hitler was awesome. And the entire class thought that was hysterical. Another student called the movie basically Jewish propaganda because the director, Steven Spielberg, is Jewish. And another student agreed. I had to stop the film to give a lesson about basic human decency, which a few students resisted. I've heard everything from Hitler look cool to Jews actually do control everything. And multiple students actually started to debate if the Holocaust ever happened. I was dumbfounded. Yesterday, some students were laughing at Hitler quotes saying they were based or true. I'm terrified for our future. Well, whoever said that uh, teaching was an easy task, uh, but what you're talking about here, I think, is what Hegel called the cunning of reason. You have these uh, Jewish propaganda operations like the ADL. Uh, they're too numerous to men. The entire mainstream media controlled by Jews. And they all agree on the fundamental myth or story of their religion, the narrative of their religion, which is called the Holocaust. And they have uh, the power of the entire media behind them to promote it. Well, just because you have the power to promote it doesn't mean uh, it's going to be received in the way that you think it should uh, be received. And what you're seeing here, I think, is basically Holocaust fatigue setting in, certainly among the younger generation. Generations now, it's been generations now, of students who have been forced to participate in this propaganda barrage every year this month. I have grandchildren who went to Catholic school, and not only did every single one of them who attended a Catholic high school have to read Night by Ailey Wiesel, one of them had to read it twice. Uh, how many Catholic novels did they read? Well, I don't know, but I know that they had to read that. There's, uh, what did Hegel mean by the cunning of reason? God, uh, the, the list different of God allows the wicked to pursue their ends, and he shapes that end to his own purposes. God is so powerful, he can turn evil into good. God allowed human freedom, knowing that man would commit evil, sure, because he was sure that in the end, his power could turn good, bad, evil into good. The story in the Bible that tells that is, of course, the story of Joseph, uh, who was sold into slavery only to be able to, because that put him in a position where he could rescue Israel from the famine. And that's what he said to his brothers, the evil you intended to do to me has been turned by God's power into good. And so what we're seeing here is the media, the Jewish-controlled media, promoting a narrative uh, that is creating a reaction among the people uh, that it's supposed to influence. Eighth graders, this is this is scary. You can tell why the teacher is, is scary, is afraid, because uh, the educational system is having the exact opposite effect. So they are questioning the narrative because that's what the human mind does. The human mind looks for the truth and tr seeks the truth like a heat-seeking missile. 
Uh, and in, even when it's uh, set up in a way to confound the truth, the mind will not rest, will not find peace until it rests in the truth. And this is why the truth is great and it will prevail, because the mind will not be satisfied with anything else. We live in a world where truth is the opinion of the powerful. And uh, if there's ever something that proves that is the Holocaust narrative. The book that I'm writing on the Holocaust narrative is now finished. We're, going, we're uh, flowing it in uh, to the template. Uh, it'll be uh, then sent to the printer, and soon it will be available uh, for purchase. And if you keep here coming here on Friday, you will find out exactly when it uh, will be available. But the, 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 the whole point of this narrative uh, is the whole point of this being imposed on us uh, was to give us a, a subtler message. And the subtle message of the Holocaust narrative is the truth is the opinion of the powerful. That's what they believe. And they've had years and years and years of experience. If there's one institution that has promoted the narrative, it is the New York Times, and they certainly believe the truth is the opinion of the powerful. I don't want to get to the details at this point, but uh, that, that is the point. The truth is uh, great, and it will prevail. That's what we believe. We believe that the truth, the mind, will not rest until it finds uh, rest in the truth. At that point, you don't go any farther. You understand the truth. It's a transcendental. The buck stops there. It's just like beauty. When you see beauty, your, in, your inclination is to stop and just contemplate. Okay? But let's, let's be specific here. Uh, there is a scene in uh, Schindler's List, uh, which is classic Holocaust narrative. Okay? Uh, if you read the book, you'll find out that uh, porn has always been part of the Holocaust narrative. Uh, the, the movie that broke the code in the United States, the production code in Hollywood was a Holocaust porn piece called uh, uh, The Pawnbroker. Doesn't seem like much now, but it was back then, because enough to break the code. And one of the classic tropes of the Holocaust narrative is, ladies, take off your clothes. Okay, a little bit of titillation there. The ladies are then taken into the gas chamber, and then what happens? There's a shower, they're pretending that it's a shower they're going to get a shower. And what happens at Schindler's List? What comes out of the shower head? Well, it's warm water. Well, this is Holocaust denial. Steven Spielberg just committed the crime of Holocaust denial as defined by Debbie Lipstadt. Because what he's saying is, if hot water came out of the shower head, well, what happened to those ladies? Did they all die? from getting a hot shower? Doesn't make any sense because Schindler, uh, Schindler, because Spielberg, in order to retain the credibility, his credibility as a filmmaker, making a serious film, uh, had to give up the gas chamber narrative. He had to give it up because by that point, we're talking about 1993, I believe, by that point, it had become untenable. Now, this is all too complicated to talk about right now, but there will be a book that will come out soon, and it will explain it to you. One other thing I have to talk about, 
I have to talk about uh, Iran. It's on my mind. Uh, we just witnessed an attempt to overthrow the government in Iran. Uh, and the Revolutionary Act, the act of insurrection, was, it was the insurrection was led by women. And the Revolutionary Act was to take off the head covering known as the hijab. Now, this was portrayed in all of the media uh, sympathetically. Obviously, it was, uh, it, it, we know that the CIA was involved in this uh, in Iran, has been involved in Iran for over uh, uh, almost, uh, actually for 70 years now. They overthrew uh, the government of Mossadegh in 1953. It's now 2023. It's been going on for years now. Uh, it happened in 2009. It was kind of the Green Revolution. It was a color revolution. CIA used women then. And now they're coming back to the same plan. This is the same, it's the playbook for Iran. And so the question is, you mobilize all these women, you get them upset, and you get them in a kind of Bacchic uh, Dionysian frenzy, and they start taking off the hijab. The big question at this point is, uh, what else are you going to take off? Because the whole hidden grammar of taking off the hijab is you're not going to stop with just that. Uh, how do we know that? How do we know that? Well, because you can read it on the Internet. So here we have a story. Uh, here, there's a lady. Uh, we've heard the story before, okay? Uh, this is a lady who left Iran, obviously took off her hijab, very good-looking lady, okay? But she, she, she internalized the feminist narrative here, uh, went to America and got, uh, went to law school and got a job at a law firm. I mean, this is the end of the story, isn't it? What more does, does the liberated lady have to look forward to in life than a job with a law firm where you can work 70 hours a week and have absolutely no family, no life, uh, and a fair amount of money uh, to make uh, as the consolation prize? I was sitting in uh, Washington Square in New York City listening to two women talk. The one woman was a lawyer. She was talking to the other one, and she said, you know, I was sitting on my sofa last night at midnight eating my cheese sandwich. Like this is the regular thing this lady does every night. She's got this prestigious job at a law firm and every night she arrives home at midnight and eat, nibbles on a cheese sandwich and she said to the woman, and I realized my life was over. I have no family. I have no children. I can't have children anymore. I dedicated my entire life to this law firm and I have nothing. Well. I'm saying that Jasmine Jafar probably heard that lady because she didn't stop at the law firm. She took it once. What did, what, did, what did it take to go to the next level? What's the next level after the law firm? It's OnlyFans. And so she apparently has a big talent here. Oh, there it is. She's got a big talent. And uh, she's got my assistant is saying she's got two big talents. Uh, and now she's on OnlyFans. So this is the trajectory, ladies. Uh, I hope all my, the Iranian women are listening to me at this point because uh, if you take the hijab off, this is where you're going to end up. You will end up like the sex robots who used to be lawyers but are now making a killing. She's making much more money uh, simply by taking off her clothes on her OnlyFans account. Okay, that's my cautionary tale. Let's hear what you have to say. 
Okay. All right. My my assistant uh, actually is uh, the guy working the camera is none other than Jordan Peterson. Say hello, Jordan. <laughs> I hate to expose you. This I know that Ben's going to be upset that you're on the show, but uh, so what do you think, Jordan? What do you think about OnlyFans? I think empowerment of women is important. As long as she has a clean room. <laughs> okay. She can Okay, she can all right, have we know that. Room. Okay, all right, shut uh, up, shut uh, up, uh, shut uh, up. Uh, shut up. Okay, we heard that before. I have a bone to pick with you, Jordan. It turns out that not only are you working for the Daily Wire, you're also agitating for war against Iran. I didn't know you were a warmonger, Jordan. Well, if if Iran exists, this fine young woman won't. <laughs> What do you say about that, Dr. Jones? Oh, well, I'm not sure what that means. But anyway, anyway, so we're talking about cultural transformation here. What happened to Jordan Peterson? He shows up. Uh, he used to talk about cleaning up your room, and now he's uh, 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 urging war on Iran. Why is that? Well, because he's working for the Daily Wire, which is a, a Jewish operation actually created by two guys who made a killing from, I think they're from Texas, they're called the Wilkes Brothers. They made a killing in something, I think it's fracking, and now they're, they created their own religion, which is Judeo-Christianity, otherwise known as conservatism, and they're the ones who are bankrolling uh, people like Ben Shapiro uh, at the Daily Wire, and Ben hired Jordan Peterson, the world's smartest goy, and the first thing out of Peterson's mouth after he gets hired with what must be an enormous amount of money is go to war with Iran. Anyway, what, uh, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a trajectory that began early on, and here is the beginning of that trajectory. Let's see this picture. Uh, famous picture here. Who are these people? That blonde lady is Jane Mansfield. The lady there uh, looking at her, big talent, is Sophia Loren famous Italian actress. The expression on her face is worth, uh, like a picture, it's worth a thousand words. What we're talking about here is the beginning of this trajectory. We're talking about the explanation for Vatican II. This is Vatican II in a nutshell. Sophia Loren uh, is, could be, uh, this is someone who could have expressed in that look the feelings that Alfredo Cardinal Ottaviani had about the American empire at that point. Another man who was absolutely tuned into this at this time was uh, Federico Fellini. He did a famous movie around the same time that Ottaviani was writing uh, the preliminary documents for Vatican II. The same type of mindset that was the basis for the original conception of Vatican II which is basically European skepticism manifested by that uh, expression on Sophia Loren's face about the American empire. And the American empire uh, as a threat to European culture and the main defender of European culture being the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church has to do something about this. Let's, let's show uh, uh, the, the Fellini, the there, this is the iconic, the other iconic representation of the same thing. This is La Dolce Vita. There is Anita Ekberg. She has a big talent as well. She's just like the lady on OnlyFans. And that's Marcello Mastriani, 
a brilliant Italian actor. That's the Fontana de Trevi in Rome. Uh, he uh, plunged into that with Anita Ekberg while it was dark out, and then the sun came up, and suddenly he's, this is the world of illusion, the world of illusion, Hollywood illusion, symbolized by Anita Ekberg, or better, by Jane Mansfield. Uh, all of Italy is being dragged into this world of illusion, and they, they fell. They fell badly, and Italy is now suffering the consequences. Uh, it's got the lowest birth rate in Europe. It's, a it's an old age home, one big old age home, and all of that exuberance of the 1960s is gone. It's a cautionary tale for the rest of us, uh, a cautionary tale about what happened to Vatican II as well. Anyway, what do you have to say? Okay. All right, guys. Uh, back to normal schedule here. One second. Let me get everything. Let's see. We sound good. Can you guys hear me? I think we have an audio trick here. Let's see. All right. Okay. To the chat. Uh, all right. For those who don't know, I'm Mike Bajakis, uh, Dr. Jones' assistant. Uh, our call-ins are made on Telegram. If you need a link to that, it's in the description for those in Cozy. Um, later in the stream, if you guys have any questions uh, that you don't want to say verbally, you can type it in the chat, and we'll read those off at the end. We're going to kind of prioritize Cozy going forward because Telegram kind of gets their shot when they're in the chat talking. Uh, try to keep the one question. Try to keep on subject. Be respectful of time. Don't be a troll. And do not forget to unmute yourself uh, after you raise your hand. Okay, that's the small stuff. Let's jump to the chat here. Uh, Aquarius guy is going to be the first one I unmute. Go ahead, Aquari Aquarius guy. Yeah, hi, thanks, uh, Dr. Jones. So, quick question. You, I've heard, I believe I've heard you say that it was the destruction of the second temple that broke the covenant, the Jews broke the covenant. But my question is more, isn't the, the the second temple just a building? I mean, the kind of the Jewish rebuttal to that is it's just a building. The covenant is in the beliefs and the hearts of the people who hold it. I would argue it's more that it was the murder of Jesus that broke the covenant, right. not the you're destruction. You're, you're absolutely temple. right. This is this is what happens when you speak off the cuff on the internet. What I meant, you're right. It, the the veil of the temple was torn the minute Jesus Christ died, and that was the end of the covenant. What I'm saying about the temple is that now the, the Jews had no way to fulfill their covenant. They had, once the temple, uh, it, the temple, there was a period of about 70 years, 60 to 70 years, when they could go through the motions that they were still fulfilling their covenant. They were not. The covenant would, became obsolete when Jesus Christ died, and his resurrection uh, replaced the old covenant with the new covenant. Uh, but the Jews could go through the motions. After 70 AD, they couldn't go through the motions anymore. It had to be apparent to them because in order for them to fulfill the Mosaic Covenant, we have to be specific about the covenant we're talking about, they had to have a temple, a priesthood, and a sacrifice. They didn't have any of that anymore. Uh, but the New Covenant did. They had the temple of Jesus, Jesus Christ, uh, the priesthood, they had priests now, and the priests would perform the sacrifice of the Mass. And that's why we know that the New Covenant has superseded uh, the Old Covenant, which is now obsolete. 
So I'm glad you brought that up because it allowed me to clarify that issue. Thank you. You're welcome. Next, we have Toad, and you are unmuted. Hello. Good evening, Dr. Jones. Can you hear me all right? I can. I can. Good evening. Fantastic. Um, my question has to do with the infallibility of the Pope. Um, uh, at what point, if any, do we draw the line with um, what the Pope says in, insofar as it's the Catholic position? Okay. The Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra from the chair of Peter on matters of faith and morals. Okay, so the Pope is only infallible under those conditions. If he's on an airplane shooting his mouth off, uh, you don't have to pay any attention to what he says because that is not, that is a man speaking, but he's not speaking as the Pope. Uh, this goes for, uh, let's say, uh, COVID. The church has no uh, charism, has no competence in judging the effectiveness of vaccines. Okay, so the per the church can uh, the pope can recommend uh, measures to prevent uh, the people from the Vatican City from contracting a disease, uh, but he may be wrong, and that's precisely what happened this time around because. Uh, the, the church, not just the Pope, but uh, theologians were operating in some type of ahistorical Thomistic vacuum, where uh, as if the, the idea of vaccine exists in some type of platonic realm and everybody knows what we're talking about. No, that was not the case. They had to define what a vaccine was and they didn't do it. And so they came up with the wrong prescription and a lot of people suffered as a result of that. So uh, if the Pope tells you uh, who's going to win the Super Bowl, uh, you can ignore him because he has no charism to talk about that kind of stuff. I think, I think I've made myself clear. If not, it, uh, let me know. So with regard to his comments on the uh, criminalization of homosexuality? Right. It's certainly not infallible in no way, shape, or form because he's making a, a recommendation for uh, a, a political accommodation. This got started, this, th we have to get into this, this got started by James Martin. James Martin tweets something saying, uh, Pete Buttigieg and Chaston are legally married. Well, okay, I agree with that, but that doesn't mean that it's a reality. It, it, it's not a category of reality. This legal fiction that a man can marry a man is precisely that. It has nothing to do with reality, the reality of the situation. The category of the reality is only a man can marry a woman. So he gets involved in that, and then suddenly, uh, I'm sure it's pure coincidence, the Pope starts talking about how uh, uh, homosexuality should not be a crime. Now, uh, Aquinas will say not every sin has to be a crime. But some sins do have to be crimes because if you want to protect the public order, you're going to have to put people away who commit it. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, you're endangering the health of society. Well, sodomy is one of those things that should be criminalized. I hate to disagree with the Pope here, but I am within my rights to disagree with him because he's making a pronouncement that has nothing to do with faith or morals. He's talking about a recommendation for the the political order, which I think is flat out wrong. 
I think that homosexuality is a threat to society, not just in terms of uh, predatory homosexuals uh, uh, and pedophilia, which is a problem. I'm talking about if you give the illusion that somehow sex can be disconnected from procreation, uh, you are bringing about the doom of society because people will stop having children, and that's precisely what happened in Italy, Catholic country. They're not having children. Happened in Iran. Okay, it's happening across the world. And this, I think, is one of the consequences of celebrating homosexuality, which means that you can have sex without any regard to the inner logic of the sexual act, which has to do inexorably with procreation. Now, it's, uh, it's getting worse. I'll, 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 I'm going to uh, ratchet this up here. The Pope, Pope Francis has appointed Bishop McElroy of San Diego. He appointed him a cardinal. And uh, Bishop, now Cardinal McElroy, announced in America Magazine that we have no right to tell homosexuals not to act on their sexual inclination and impulses. Well, wait a minute. This is crazy. First of all, it shows you that America Magazine and the Jesuits are running the church right now. We've got a group of revolutionaries who have taken over the machinery of the Vatican, and they are promoting people who will wreck the church. All right, you can't wreck the church, okay? But they are promoting people who will cause enormous scandal and confusion, as this man has. Someone has to do something about the Jesuit coup d'etat that has taken over the Vatican. Now, God is going to intervene at a certain point because Francis is not going to live forever. Okay, and at that point, we have to pray that uh, people like uh, McElroy will not have the determining factor in uh, deciding who will be the next pope. So, as I said, you know, the, the church is the boat that's always tossed about by storms. It always seems that Jesus Christ is asleep, and we just have to wait till he wakes up and calms the waves. It's that simple. God bless. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Let's go to Charles Otto William Wade. Uh, go ahead. Evening, Dr. Jones. Good evening. Uh, what I have to say, it's not necessarily a question per se, but I just realized because... I've asked questions before on here. I I just realized I, I never got the chance to thank you for your answers and uh, also to thank you for everything you're doing for playing such a big part in keeping the Logos, the message of Logos alive. So, I mean, that's all I really needed to say. God bless. Well, thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you very much there, sir. Uh, next, we got... Where's MV? Go ahead. Don't forget to unmute Mr. MV. Thank you. Dr. Jones, a quick question to a question uh, someone asked earlier. If the, uh, the second temple is kind of a wasting their time, the Jews, you know, are ignoring uh, what, what really was the 
you know, the right path. What do they hope to accomplish by rebuilding the temple on the site where it is now, where the Dome of the Rock mosque sits? I mean, isn't that something they want to do? Of course, yeah. I think there are people that, uh, what, the, what the Jews who would like to rebuild the Third Temple need to do is have a little history lesson. Uh, they should go to the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and read the chapter on Julian the Apostate because they tried this before. They had enormous power in Rome among the, uh, uh, the Roman Empire, especially with Julian the Apostate because he had renounced Christianity. He was going to bring back the old pagan religion, and he knew that his allies in doing this were the Jews. He also wanted to conquer Persia, so uh, he needed their support uh, logistically to get the army from uh, uh, Antioch to uh, Ctesiphon. He needed Jewish support, and he said, you know, uh, what do you want? And the Jews said, very simple, just rebuild the temple for us. Well, no, no problem. It's just a building. And so he got uh, uh, the uh, greatest engineer in the Roman Empire, brought him back from Britain, just said, build the temple. Okay, and by then the word had spread throughout the entire Jewish community. Uh, and the women were coming and they were donating their jewelry and they're carrying the rubble. You have to clear the rubble off the foundation, which is the Wailing Wall now. It's called the Wailing Wall. The Dome of the Rock, the mosque is there on top of it now, but that's basically the foundation of the temple. Clear it off, get the, get the new stone. He brings the stone down, it lowers down. They got a crane, it lowers it down. The first stone is going to land on the foundation. As soon as it touches the foundation, fire erupts from the earth and kills everyone. Now, there are three people who wrote about this. One was a Catholic, one was an Aryan, and one was a Jew, and they all agreed that the same thing happened. And the lesson that the Catholic drew, drew on this is you cannot uh, rebuild something that God does not want built. What God wants has decreed obsolete cannot be rebuilt again. That's what happened uh, then. Uh, if they think they can do it again, I mean, basically, who's going to stop them? Who's going to stop them? I just think you should take a deep breath before you get involved in this thing, because I'm, if, I'm, if you're asking me if I'm a betting man, I'm going to bet against it, no matter how much worldly power they have. What is the essence of what we believe? It's what St. Paul said, when I am weak, I am strong. Well, then the opposite must apply to the Jews, because they are the opposite of uh, the Christians. They are the people that killed Christ. They are the enemies of the entire human race, as Paul said himself said in 1 Thessalonians 2. And so what they have to say is, when I am strong, I am weak. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing it right now, but you need the eyes to see it. Thank you. Next, we have Ivan Castle. Go ahead. Yes, uh, can you hear me okay? I can. It's my first time. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Uh, where to start? Um, I guess my, my question is concerning the uh, proclamation of the gospel, and in particular, shining light on the darkness as a allegorical euphemism of speaking about the JQ and everything associated with it. Um, and I guess I experience a lot of cognitive dissonance in regards to this because I try to, uh, you know, enlighten family members or uh, community members at my church. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's, it's such a battle because 
I don't know how far to to go and what to speak about because I mean I want to bring the you know the, the 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 truth to light and I know that it is inevitable and anyway I I do have some strategies that I've 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 really pondered and prayed about and and I believe you know if somehow we could we could shine a light on the contents of the Talmud and what it speaks about and I don't know I mean but but again am I am I being a bad person by by doing that no, you know because no. Jesus Christ yeah. said you're not supposed to keep your light under a bushel Right. You're supposed uh, yeah. to let that light shine. You're supposed to let that light shine and proclaim from the rooftops what you what you believe. Now, there are ways to do that, and there are there are effective ways and there are ineffective ways. And oftentimes you learn that in the expensive school of experience. Sometimes you can't learn it anywhere else but in the expensive school of experience. And you can lead with your chin, as we say in boxing, and that's not a good idea. Uh, but the, in principle, it is good. Now, I'm saying that the best way to deal with this is by talking about the world we live in. And the example I've given before is 400 Jewish organizations are now saying abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. I don't know what kind of church you go to. You could go to a, a, a Christian Zionist church in Oklahoma, uh, and you could say, well, look, we're, Oklahoma is 100% pro-life, and 100% pro-Zionist, pro-Israel. How do you resolve that if both of these things uh, have to do with the Jews? How do you resolve that? Seriously, give me an answer. That's a way of uh, starting a discussion. Now, no matter how you do it, the best paradigm uh, in this regard is not from Scripture, it's from Plato. And Plato's allegory of the cave is basically you're living in a world where people are watching shadows. And you climb out of the cave and you suddenly realize, whoa, there's a whole different world out here. This is the world of forms, which is stuff that's eternally true. And then you climb back into the cave and you start talking about it and nobody wants to talk to you. Now, that's, that's, the, that's uh, Greek, the Greek take on fallen human nature. They didn't know that the world was saved because it wasn't saved at that point because it's 300 years before Jesus Christ. So, uh, but the, the truth, there is a truth there about fall, the fallen world. And is it, it's basically that people would rather be cheated than to be told that they've been cheated. Someone said that as well. And that's the situation you're in. So there's always going to be conflict. You can't get around the conflict. But if you engage in conflict and you have a kind of subtlety and you're able to learn, you will be able to come up with a way of addressing this issue in a way that people uh, will find uh, enlightening. I mean, look, I, I had to do this myself. I mean, I, I wrote a book. How am I ever going to talk about the Jewish question? Nobody, nobody will talk about that. Well, that was 13 years ago. And I've been talking about it for 13 years ago, and I'm still here, and, and I'm leading conversations on it. And once the people, once you bring this up, you're saying, well, yeah, I guess we should be able to talk about uh, why are Jews uh, for abortion? And why is abortion a fundamental Jewish value? And what does that say about their religion? Is that the same religion as ours? As the Catholic faith, and and so if it isn't, then why are we talking about them as our elder brothers? These are just ideas that are coming to my mind at this point. It's possible, but you need some type of savoir faire in order to do it. 
Next, we have GBoss88. Now, GBoss, you have great questions. I like your questions. But sometimes you take time to ask these questions. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you ask your question, but try to keep it short if you can, please. All right. Go ahead, GBoss. Okay, I'm very sorry about that. I did not know about that, but yeah, thank you um, a lot for letting me on the show. Uh, thank you a lot for your mm -hmm. answers. So I'll, I will make it quick, like you said. Um, uh, it's about like uh, the issue of Black History Month. So I would like to see your like your take on it because there's like this inkling in my brain that thinks like the that there's like some part of like uh, Jewish involvement in, in uh, Black History Month that you know, and all these types of like racialized months in which it tries to uh, tear apart, you know, uh, all these types of, you know, Christians apart from each other. And, you know, there's this type of hypocritical element to it where like the, where like uh, blacks can be able to have certain areas or months for themselves, but uh, whites, if they do right. it, it's seen as, right. you know, right. evil and all that. Right. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to see your take on it. And, you know, that's all. Yeah, no, it's very simple. Uh, in order to understand Black History Month, you have to understand the Black Jewish Alliance. And the Black Jewish Alliance is basically uh, the Jews going, uh, trying to set up a slave rebellion in the South and using uh, blacks as proxy warriors to uh, engage in revolution and overturning the social order. That's what uh, the Harlem Renaissance was about. That was sexual subversion. That's the Spingarn brothers, Amy Spingarn, created uh, Langston Hughes, the poet. That was the cultural front, but the Spingarn brothers also created the NAACP, which was exactly what we're talking about here. You can't have Black History Month without talking about the NAACP, but you can't say that it was a Jewish creation because the Jews managed this narrative. It's that simple. They want to manage every narrative. That's what this whole big battle between Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder is. That narrative is called the conservative narrative, and the Jews want to manage it. And when the, uh, there's the pro-life narrative. Ben Shapiro is in charge of the, managing the pro-life narrative, which means he will never tell you that 400 Jewish organizations said abortion is a fundamental Jewish value because that's inconvenient. So this is exactly when you're talking about Black History Month. It's the Jewish management of history creating categories of the mind that are favorable to Jewish interest. And the main Jewish interest is the Jewish revolutionary spirit. I wrote a book about it. They want to turn you, they want to turn black people into proxy warriors. Now, black people are waking up. The classic example was Kanye West. Uh, woke up, he's got a Jewish personal trainer who's shooting him up with drugs, trying to destroy him, threatening his life if he goes, uh, continues to talk this way. This is a, a black man who was incredibly successful, a billionaire, uh, and didn't like uh, Jewish control. He went against the narrative and they tried to destroy him. I, I, what more proof do we need here? So it, it's the same thing. It's like uh, Jordan Peterson on uh, uh, the Daily Wire. You know, he has some things to say. Now he's a shill for wants war with Iran. He's telling us how intelligent Jews are because because of what? Because they put a golden chain around his neck. It was Dave Chappelle who came up with this image uh, in his monologue about uh, Kanye West. Put your chain on, nigga. That's what it takes to be a successful black person. That's the gist. That's the key to understanding 
Black History Month. And that's the key to understanding how the Jews want to control the narrative. Because even if it's a gold chain, they can yank it whenever they want. And if they yank your chain, you better bark. Uh, and that's the whole point of having a chain around your neck. So I don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe it's pure coincidence, but Candace Owen walk, uh, walked uh, side by side with Kanye West with a White Lives Matter t-shirt. And the next thing I know, she's talking about Steven Crowder and the awful things that she can't tell us about him. Uh, I, I, I'm going out on a limb here, but I think they yanked her chain. All right. Uh, next, we have Elros. Go ahead. Don't forget to unmute. There we go. Sorry. Right, right. Uh, Dr. Jim, you hear me? Sorry, can't hear you. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, Dr. Jones, a uh, uh, pleasure to speak to you again. Um, I'll be as brief as possible. I'd like to ask you about Nicholas J. Fuentes, uh, clearly a bright kid, um, one of the most brilliant debaters I've had the pleasure of listening to. Uh, he's, he's sort of resurrected the America First narrative that um, you've spoken often about. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, have, I have some serious uh, qualms with regard to Nick because he, he seems, while he's intelligent, he seems to have little to no wisdom or prudence. And he keeps saying things like, I love Hitler. And, uh, you know, this, is, this just is unhelpful, I think. And, um, uh, you know, I think he's kind of a narcissist. Uh, he seems to believe in a kind of racial determinism. Um, so uh, I make this statement, this inquisitive statement, with the utmost and most profound respect for you and your work. Um, but I, I feel it's maybe something I should ask is that given your juxtaposition with Nick and your, your expertise and, and your position, do you think it might be incumbent upon you to uh, reach out to Nick and talk to him and maybe give him some serious counsel? Well, I, that would be presumptuous of me to offer my counsel. You know, if someone asks me for counsel, I'll be glad to give it, but uh, it's better for have the person ask. Now, uh, yeah, I was, I, I think that uh, uh, Nick Fuentes is, is a genius when it comes to politically mobilizing a group of people. Uh, he's, what is he, 20, 20 some years old? I mean, I mean, I think he's 20. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm basically 50 years older than he is. And uh, 50 years, uh, you can, you know, get a lot of experience. And the best uh, thing that I can suggest is collaboration on this regard. Now, I tried to do this. I tried to do this with, uh, with Kanye. Uh, Milo was his communications director. So uh, my guy Mike here is talking with Milo. Uh, we should get together. Let's, ha let's have a meeting, Nick and, uh, and Milo and Kanye and me. Well, it never happened. It never happened because uh, I'll be honest with you. I think that uh, I think Nick felt that if you have a private jet, you don't need to think about what you're going to say. Uh, and that's not the case. You know, you can get in your private jet and you can fly off and then which he goes to, uh, uh, Kanye goes to uh, uh, Texas, uh, goes on the Alex Jones show, 
puts on some type of weird uh, face mask and rants for three hours, during which he says the magic word, Adolf Hitler, at which point the, uh, the celebration broke out at ADL headquarters. I could hear the champagne corks popping here in South Bend, Indiana. That's 700 miles away. Now, that's a lot of champagne cork. He said exactly, he, 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 he had this, I don't know why he did this. I don't know why Nick Fuentes would do this, uh, unless it's just to get a rise out of someone. And that's something that you do when you're 20 years old. Uh, not the best thing to do, but that's what you do when you're 20 years old. Now, uh, believe me, I couldn't do, when I was 20, whatever he is, I couldn't come close to doing what Nick was doing. You know, I mean, I, I, I admire the guy. He's a, he's a genius when it comes to mobilizing this generation. But uh, consistency is also important here. And so, uh, by the way, there's an article in America Magazine, uh, which is the Jesuit magazine, where they're attacking Nick uh, for saying Adolf Hitler, I think, or something like that. It's, it, it, we, we need to be uh, wise as serpents, innocent as dove. And being wise as a serpent means you don't say uh, the very thing that your oppressors are, want you to say. Uh, uh, you have to come up with a, 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 a more sophisticated way of dealing with this issue. I don't believe you should hand out spears and tell people to charge the machine gun nest. I think that's a bad idea. I think that's what Richard Spencer did at Charlottesville. I think there are better ways to deal with this. Anyway, I, that's as much as I can say. Who am I to judge? You know, God bless him. I hope he, you know, I hope he succeeds. He's, he's gone, moved in the right direction. He's identifying himself as a Catholic. He's talking about America first. This is the direction we need to go, and we stop. You have to stop uh, just uh, trying to give the finger to the ADL. All right. Uh, well, Dr. Jones, it's uh, 5.49. I think we, sh we should hit some of the uh, questions. Okay via text um, uh, at this point. Uh, I'll do one or two good ones from Telegram and then jump to Cozy. You guys at Cozy need some attention, so start asking your questions now. All right, let me get one or two good ones from Telegram. Let's see, what do we got? Um, oh, I know it's asked every week, but uh, it is a good question. We're, I, people just keep, I keep asking until it's out. But uh, Friendly Bear from Telegram asks, has EMJ set a release date for the Holocaust book yet? No, no, I do not have a release date because I don't know how long it's take, going to take at the printer. But we're, we're just about ready to send it off to the printer. When I, uh, and even if I gave you a release date, who, who knows whether it's effective or not. So uh, this is what happened with The Dangers of Beauty. It usually takes six weeks to get a book out. That was nine months. Uh, and it was all stuck at the printer for nine months, and people kept asking me when it was going to come out. Uh, that was a more complicated book. I think you should all, there's the book right there. It's got a lot of illustrations. It's big. It's got glossy pages uh, and so on and so forth. That may have caused a delay, but no, I don't, have, I don't have a release date. But stay tuned, and you will know when it comes out. All right. Uh, from VK on Telegram, I'm not going to attempt that name. Uh, hi, Dr. Jones, speaking of Vatican II. Any thoughts on Pope John the Twenty-Third? Was he a quote good pope? <laughs> Who am I to judge? Okay. Oh, no. Who am I? Please don't ask me to judge whether popes are good uh, people or not. Okay. But uh, so what I'm going to tell you is what the story that I learned from 
Vatican insiders was that basically Pius XII dies. The last years of the Pius XII's reign were a crisis for the church because he was non corpus mentis. He was having apparitions. Uh, and uh, the church, uh, he, had, he had put gotten so much power into his hands. He was a modern figure. He could use the radio to mobilize a billion people uh, and so on and so forth. And he's non corpus mentis. And so at this point, Cardinal Ottaviani, who was his right-hand man, went to John the 23rd and said, we got a problem here. We have to deal with this problem. I've already told you what the problem was from the cultural point of view. It was Sophia Loren with that look looking at Jane Mansfield. That's Italy looking at America thinking, do I want to get a part of, do I want to be part of this operation? Uh, but the other part was that there was uh, a crisis of the governance in the church and they felt that they had to uh, basically empower the bishops a little bit more so that they could work according to the principle of subsidiarity. Uh, that's the way I see uh, uh, John the Twenty-Third. I think he was smart enough to understand what Ottaviani was saying and bold enough to act on it. And that's the essence of prudence. When you understand the situation, you can act on it. So if, if I have to rate the Pope, yeah, I, he did a good job. All right, so let's jump to Cozy here. Uh, from Jakey, one of our mods. Uh, thank you, sir, for your service. Uh, EMJ, do you have an uh, evaluation of David Irving's work? Yeah, he's a great historian. <laughs> no question about it. He's a great historian. I mean, I, 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 met, him, I met him in person. Uh, he is a man who goes right to primary sources. Uh, speaks the language, talks to people, great historian. Uh, he's been demonized uh, because he basically lost a libel lawsuit to uh, Debbie Lipstadt, because, and she had mobilized every Jewish uh, 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 revolutionary organization, had unlimited funding, and she won the case. But this, and she has been trying to demonize David uh, Irving ever since, but uh, his, his work speak, speak, uh, they speak for him. His works, he doesn't need to brag about. He's written great, great works of uh, history, and uh, I think he'll be remembered that, for that. From uh, Crusher, uh, question, uh, is Holy Communion valid at SSPX Mass since they are in schism? Is, is what, where, 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 say that again. Is Holy Communion valid at SSPX Mass since they are in schism? Yes, it's valid, but it's not listed. So uh, you should not go. It's valid, but it's not listed. They, are, they have uh, apostolic succession. Uh, Bishop Williamson was ordained by uh, uh, Archbishop Lefebvre, who is a successor of the apostle, goes all the way back. That is a valid ordination, but it was done in dis disobedience to the church, and that's what put the, the SSPX in schism. So it's valid, but not listed. That's pretty much all I have to say about it. Koopaloop from Cozy asks, do you have any plans for a new libido dominandi talking about current events? You know, that's funny you should mention that because today I thought, you've got to bring out a new edition of libido dominandi. I, I, the reason I'm saying this is I, I've been contacted by uh, my Iranian friends they uh, asked me to come up with a shorter version. They're going to translate it into Farsi, and it's going to be published in, in Iran. 
uh, a great opportunity. They're brilliant people, all waiting to become the philosophers they could have been hundreds of years ago. Uh, but in doing this, putting this book together, I realized the prime example <laughs> of libido dominandi uh, is the uh, Israelis invading Ramallah and broadcasting pornography over Palestinian TV stations, and it's not in libido dominandi because it happened a year after I published the book. So if there were ever vindication of my thesis, it's certainly that. But I mean, really, I have to... I have to update this. I have to, you're right, I have to bring out a second edition uh, because I've been vindicated <laughs> for uh, about 20 years now after the publication of the book. So thank you for bringing that up. Now, Dr. Jones, you said it'd be a shorter version? You said? I did a shorter version for the Iranians. Oh, okay. But That's going to be published in Farsi. They're okay. going to translate into Farsi. But the second edition will the probably be... The second edition will obviously be longer long. than the okay. first edition because I have basically going on 20 years of new material that I could include in this thing. Yeah. Uh, largely articles that have also already appeared in, in Culture Wars. The whole story of the corruption uh, of India, the rape crisis in India, the corruption of Bollywood, that's whole one chapter I could add. It's, it's, there's lots of stuff that... Uh, yeah, so you're right. It, it, we need a second edition. From Kingfish AF, uh, Dr. Jones, what is your favorite movie? Oh, favorite movie? Uh, I thought Galaxy Quest was one of the best movies Hollywood ever made. Uh, it was a brilliant movie. Um, uh, I thought that uh, Serious Man by the Coen Brothers was a great movie where they actually dealt with real problems. It, it, it's, the, the Coen brothers are such a mixed bag. You never know what to expect when you go to the movies. I thought uh, what, so that Llewellyn Davis movie was one of the worst movies I've ever had to suffer through in my life. So uh, maybe they should just stick to what they know. But anyway, that's another one. Um, do I have to come up with three? Uh, I'm struggling here. Let's, let's just leave it at two. From Post No Bills, question. Uh, did you hear about the attempt to build a new Catholic neighborhood in Detroit? Yes. Yes. Can you can you expand on that? Yeah, I, there was a, a, an attempt. I'm, I'm more familiar with the attempt in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, I had something to do with that uh, because uh, of the book uh, Slaughter of Cities which told the real story about the destruction of ethnic neighborhoods. I also came up with an idea called uh, the League of St. Benedict, which grew out of the slaughter of cities and basically said that these parishes, big parishes that had been ethnically cleansed, if the church owns the buildings, they should bring families uh, into the uh, buildings. The, the example I had in mind was Most Blessed Sacrament Parish in Philadelphia. Uh, the biggest Catholic parish in uh, the big, had the biggest Catholic grade school in the world in the 1960s. It was ethnically cleansed and behind, left behind a building, a church that was as big as a cathedral, uh, a, uh, I'm, I'm guessing a five-story rectory, a four-story convent, and a, a school for 3,000 people. That's a, an amazing uh, plant, one square block. It could have been put to use, uh, refurbished uh, to create apartments. Uh, for young families who always are struggling, 
uh, uh, and uh, give like an incubator for young families. It would keep, it would revitalize the parish, bring Catholics into the neighborhood. When they started to have children, then they could move out into uh, houses dear there. I think it was a great idea, and no one, <laughs> absolutely no one, in a position of authority would uh, uh, work uh, ex uh, act on the idea. I went to the head of the Bene of a Benedictine abbey. Uh, I thought, since I'm calling the Order of Saint Benedict, well, I got nowhere. I'm not going to tell you which abbey it was. Uh, but got nowhere, and so, but the idea is out there, and so a group of people went to, in South Bend, went to the bishop. There are uh, two ethnic parishes in South Bend, St. Pat's and St. Hedwig's, they're a block apart, because one parish was for the Irish, and the other parish was for the Poles. Well, that's obsolete now, you got these two, you got this vacant lots, they wanted to build a building on the lots, and the bishop wouldn't let them do it. Uh, the bishop then is now, the, 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 a group of uh, other South Bend parents uh, started their own school, private school, and they took over the uh, St. Pat's school building, which has been empty for years now. Great idea, uh, but the problem is that now they want to buy the building, tear it down and build a big building, which is a bad idea. First, we have to deal with the parish. Let the people move into the neighborhood. That building would have been, that apartment building, whatever they were talking about, would have been a great idea because it would have brought the people into the neighborhood. A parish is a geographical entity, and you need people. And if all the city does is tear down houses, there's no place for these people to live. And you have South Bend, thanks to Pete Buttigieg, uh, our, our illustrious former mayor, who made it a goal to tear down 1,000 houses. You're tearing down affordable housing, Pete. Anyway, didn't happen, so now you got the exact opposite. If they build, this is theoretical right now, if they tear down the, the church building and build a private school, you have, uh, you're working against the health of the parish because all you're doing is coming there you're cutting off the parish from the rent they're getting now, and you're coming there, and you're going back home. You don't have a community. In order to have a community, you have to live in the same geographical area. The Catholic word for community is parish. You have to have those people living in proximity to each other. This is the problem. I'm not going to get in trouble here, but this is the problem with Latin mass parishes. They're, they're not communities. They're societies. They come from a 50-mile radius to come for the Mass, and then they all go back, and nobody's living in the parish. The parish is dying. I said this to my friends in Cincinnati, you know, uh, who were going to the Latin Mass at Old St. Mary's. You know, coming again, 50-mile radius, coming from Kentucky, all over the place. They come here, they go to Mass, and they all go back, and the place is empty. This was over the Rhine. Uh, it was a classic uh, German neighborhood that had been ethnically cleansed by black migration. And the blacks uh, rioted at a certain point uh, because they didn't like the gentrification that was going on. And so they, the Latin masters all said, you know, wow, I'm glad I didn't follow your advice. Well, it might have happened, uh, something might have happened differently if you had followed my advice, but we'll never know because you didn't do it. And at this point, uh, the default setting is now homosexuals, bring in the homosexuals, uh, they will gentrify it, the, roof, the real estate value will go through the roof, ordinary people like my son, 
who was dancing at the Cincinnati Ballet can't afford to live near the ballet because of the gentrification. That's the whole problem. It could have been had another outcome if they had uh, implemented the League of St. Benedict. That's a long way of, uh, I hope I answered your question. All right, another from Cozy. Optimus Opifex uh, asks, um, question, where do you think Hitler went wrong? Okay, Hitler comes to power. He wants to unify the country. What's the first thing he bumps into? It's called the Reformation. Germany is divided between Protestant and Catholic. How do you unify this country? He tried to talk to the Catholics, tried to talk to the Protestants. He realized that's not going to work. So what do you do now? Well, he goes to paganism. Uh, and the vehicle for paganism was uh, Richard Wagner, who glorified the uh, past, the pre-Christian past, past of Germany uh, by the Ring Operas, the, uh, basically putting uh, a musical version of the Nibelungenlied. That's where he went wrong. That was not going to work. Uh, Neo-paganism has no roots whatsoever. There was a lot of neo-paganism happening around at that time. There was something called the Thule Society. Uh, there was decline in the, the Catholic, uh, in Christian Europe, Catholic Europe. Uh, uh, he decided to throw in his lot with this type of category of the mind, I have to say. Category of the mind. So uh, in addition to Wagner, uh, you've got uh, Madison Grant, uh, the racial theorist in America. Madison Grant used to wave a letter around when people would visit him. It was Adolf Hitler thanking Madison Grant for introducing him to basically American racial theory, which had no bearing whatsoever on Germany. There were no black people in Germany at that time. It was completely crazy. Him uh, trying to confect all of these things, put this kind of mishmash conglomeration together with duct tape and spit, uh, was bound to collapse. And that's precisely what happened. So he uh, then alienated the Catholic Church when he got involved in his eugenics program. How did he get, why eugenics? Well, because that's where Madison Grant was coming from. The whole racial politics in America was all based on eugenics. And so he's going to implement the eugenics program by killing off the, uh, the halt and the lame. And at that point, he alienated the Catholic Church. So Bishop Graf von Gallen was the Bishop of Münster, a courageous figure, a heroic figure, a giant, literally a giant among men. He was six foot six. He, he looked like a linebacker or an, uh, an offensive lineman. Uh, towered over his contemporaries and stood up to Hitler, and Hitler was throwing people into Dachau left and right, and he wouldn't touch Graf von Gallen. Graf von Gallen stood up to him not on the invasion of Russia. Graf von Gallen said it was a good thing that Germany invaded Russia because someone has to put an end to Bolshevism, Jewish Bolshevism, which is a threat here. He turned uh, against Hitler when Hitler started killing uh, the handicapped and the, uh, those kind of people. Leben unwertes Leben, life that's not fit for living. That was the slogan, and that 
alienated the Catholic Church, and once you alienated the Catholic Church, you have to use force, a police state, to keep the people in line, and that was the beginning of the end. All right, uh, from product 305, um, Dr. Jones, would you be interested in a conversation with Jay Dyer? He seems quite hostile towards you. Yeah, no, no, I told Jay Dyer, I'm not going to talk to you. Talk, if Jay Dyer wants, I don't want to uh, debate the Orthodox, okay? The Orthodox are an apostolic church. Jay Dyer was a Catholic, and then he, he decided to become Orthodox for some reason or other. And now he's got this jihad against the Catholic Church. If you want to talk to, if Jay Dyer wants to debate somebody, tell him to debate Jim Lacutus. He, he knows who he is. He's afraid of him. He won't debate him. But that's the guy. Jim Lacutus is a convert from the Greek Orthodox faith. He became a Catholic. He knows the whole story inside out. I'm not the guy to talk to. Tell Jay Dyer to debate uh, Jim Lacutus. Where was it? Um, uh, I missed it, but I did see it. Uh, someone was asking, uh, the Jews made Hollywood. Did they also make Bollywood? Yes. Yes, that, that's an interesting story. That's a really interesting story. I covered it in that article I did on Bollywood and Culture Wars. Uh, you can look it up on the, uh, on the, at our website. And that's one of the chapters that's going to be included in the uh, second edition of uh, of uh, libido dominandi. All right, Dr. Jones. Well, it's uh, six oh nine. Just keep going, or a couple more. What do you give me? Doing? Give me a couple more, and then we'll cut out. All right, from Black Swan, uh, Dr. Jones. I have friends who believe smoking pot is morally licit, similar to alcohol or tobacco. How would you reply? Um, it is pot. Look, I, I got a big. A story I'm going to do on pot, on the legalization of marijuana in Michigan, which will tell the full story. Subscribe to Culture Wars magazine, and you will get that story in much greater detail than I could go into it now. But basically, uh, the whole point of uh, what is wine sinful? Drinking wine sinful? Well, if you drink too much of it, it is, because if you drink too much, you lose your reason. And it's sinful to uh, uh, obliterate your reason because that's what you are by nature. That is what you are. You are a creature of Logos. Now, the question is, what about the effect of marijuana on you? Does that make you lose your reason? Well, there are plenty of people who say no. You know, it's obviously it has a different effect on you. But I think when you, what you have to do is look at the, the big picture here. Uh, you can't, uh, there are all kinds of propaganda like, look, I smoked dope for 27 years and I won the Nobel Prize. And it was actually because I smoked dope that I won the Nobel Prize. This is the, the uh, what's his name, Aaron Rodgers just went this route. <laughs> we took something, some type of uh, uh, drug from Mexico and said it made him a better quarterback. And then, of course, he bombed as a quarterback. Uh, uh, God punished him for making a stupid claim like that. So what is the net result uh, socially? You've got, and uh, let's take the state of Michigan. The state of Michigan was the headquarters of America first. Detroit was the headquarters of America first. Father Coughlin, Henry Ford, Charles Lindbergh, all came from uh, Detroit, which was the manufacturing capital of the world, which was at war with Wall Street, whether they liked it or not. That's why Detroit got destroyed. 
Uh, that's why the economy got destroyed, because labor is the source of all value. And now those same people have just legalized dope in Michigan, putting, I'm saying, you are not going to be an effective, conscientious, intelligent worker if you spend your time smoking dope. And I'm saying this is Wall Street, the long arm of Jewish revenge against the state of Michigan, punishing them for America first by destroying the workforce in Michigan. They're all out there stoned. Read the story uh, in, uh, in the next issue of Culture Wars. And then this, this one kind of related. Uh, it was um, like I lost who it was, but they were asking, uh, "Is uh, what about your opinion on tattoos? Is that same thing? Is, is it basically are tattoos morally illicit or not?" I don't think this rises to the level of morality. Hmm. I think we're talking about aesthetics here. I, I, I'm sorry, but uh, the human body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing that you can do, no, nothing you can do to the human body that will improve it by drawing on it. And if you are drawing on it, uh, why are you doing that? I have a theory. My theory is that in some people, they lead such chaotic lives, the only thing that's permanent is the ink that's under their skin. And this gives them a sense of commitment. Wait a minute, I just had sex with Kim Kardashian, says Pete Davidson. I know what I'll do. I'll get a tattoo celebrating the fact that I had sex with Kim Kardashian. Uh, oh, wait a minute, but she just dumped me. So what do I do now? I guess I have to go to the laser guy and get it, uh, get it removed. This is the type of uh, world I think that uh, tattoos are, are part of. I have, I have yet to see a woman whose looks were improved by a tattoo. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, and I take aesthetics very seriously. I've, you, if you've read the book, The Dangers of Beauty, you know that I think it's a transcendental. And I think the transcendentals lead us to God. And so uh, if you're making yourself ugly, uh, you're heading in the wrong direction. That's all I have to say. All right. One more, Dr. Jones? One more. All right. Uh, from Ivan Castle, uh, good question here. Uh, what percentage of American Jews treat the Talmud as a holy book, which is fundamental to their existence, as Christians are to the New Testament? I, I, don't have, I can't give you percentages, but I can tell you that the Jewish Encyclopedia said that the Talmud is the heart of the Jewish nation. That, that's the crucial thing. So if you're, uh, obviously not all Jews are uh, followed uh, religion. This, ben Shapiro likes to play this card all the time. They're not real Jews. They're not real Jews. They don't go to uh, synagogue on Saturday. Well, that's not the criterion of a real Jew. A real Jew is someone who was born of a Jewish mother, period. That's it. So I wish these guys would stop saying, whenever I bring this up, Charles Moskowitz does this all the time too. Whenever I bring up somebody like Trotsky, he says, he's not a real Jew. He doesn't go to synagogue. No, that's ridiculous. The Talmud is anti-Logos. The Talmud, this is religious Jews are, if they, insofar as they follow the Talmud, they are every bit as, as much as anti-Logos as the, revol the overtly revolutionary Jews. So it doesn't really make a difference in that regard, and it doesn't matter really what the percentages are. Uh, this, is, this is the reality of, of the situation. This is their identity. 
The Talmud is the identity of religious Jews. The Talmud is anti-Logos. What can I tell? It was written 300 years or 600 years after the death of Christ in order to keep Jews from converting to Christianity and finding their true identity as children of Moses. All right, uh, announcements. Actually, that uh, what you just said reminds me. We have a talk with Charles next week, correct? Talk with who? Uh, Charles Mausewitz. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to schedule it. Is yeah. that going to be recorded, or do, would you mind doing it live? Yeah, I'll, uh, I assume he's going to send me the link. He postponed it a week. I don't know why he did that, but I'll send you the link. Okay, all right. Uh, all right. We'll post the link as soon as we as soon as soon he sends it to us after I do it. It'll be next Wednesday. Right, right, because people are kind of looking forward to that. So, I'll say, that, that, that's about it. Then Gemma, Monday, those those videos will be up next week. Okay, let's see, anything... All right, thanks again. Thanks for joining us at EMJ Live. Uh, once again, these are every Friday at 5. Make sure to subscribe to Culture Wars. Uh, get the books at fidelitypress.com. Subscribe to our Telegram. Goes on Cozy. If you're not following us on Cozy, follow us on Cozy. All of our videos are on BitChute and Gab. Follow us on Gab. We're back on Twitter. You guys know what to do. Uh, that's that's it. That's, that's my selling stuff. Dr. Jones, you get the last word. What do you got? Thank you. Thank you for having Again, I've enjoyed this conversation. Let's do it again next week. Uh, in the meantime, just meditate on how Logos is rising in our day. All right. God bless y'all. See you next week. <laughs>